What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Gutter Guys Comic Book Podcast. I'm Dustin. And I'm Zach. And together we are the Gutter Guys. Each and every week, we dive into the unceremoniously named space between the panels of each new week's comics. We take a look around, check out the action, and report back to you about whether or not it's worth your time. Think about your favorite comic of the week. We were in it. Now let's talk about it. Hey guys, Dustin here. Just want to say thanks for tuning into the second episode of the Gutter Guys podcast. Uh, Zach and I are having a ton of fun with this. It's been a great week so far. We just had Comic-Con, some new movie trailers are dropping. There's tons to talk about. As always, there's tons of issues to get into as well. Oh yeah, it's been great this week. So Dustin, you want to dive right in? Absolutely. All right. The first number one of the week we're going to be talking about today is Infinity Wars number one from Marvel Comics. Um, this has been, uh, this has been an interesting road. We've had a lot of Infinity Wars tie-ins, we've had the countdown issues, we've had Infinity Wars Prime last week, and we are finally here at the beginning of this new major crossover event, and it really felt like a major crossover, eh? Yeah, it feels, it feels very big, feels very large, a lot of faces in this issue. There are a lot of cameos, a lot of people are involved here. Those Infinity Gems, Stones, whatever you want to call them, are all over the place, and it's really interesting to see them all come together after so much lead up between Doctor Strange saying, no, we can't bring the Infinity Stones together. Oh, we have to bring the Infinity Stones together. And finally, we get the Infinity Watch all in one place to talk through what the heck is going to happen next with these stones. Uh, Some big reveals in this issue. We finally find out who Requiem is. Uh, we can't, we don't really want to talk about it because we're not going to spoil it for you. We want you guys to go and take a read through. Uh, we'd love to know what you think. Hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what you think about the Requiem reveal. Uh, but Dustin, what do you think about the issue overall? Yeah, a lot, like you said, a lot building to this and, um, it feels like a big issue. It feels true to the size and weight of the event that they're building into with all these infinity, with the infinity wars. Um, I like the idea of the infinity watch. That's cool. You know, we looked at a little bit of themes with this, with Justice League Dark uh, last podcast. The idea of sort of a common enemy, where heroes and villains are, are having to come together because you have you got to protect the stones. So you know, there's no world, there's no world to conquer if it just gets completely destroyed. Like you said, the reveal is big. We won't give that away, but please let us know what you think. And um, yeah, for me, a great issue. I enjoyed it. I'm going to be totally honest here. I mean, I don't read a ton of Marvel. So when I came to the first couple issues of Infinity Wars Countdown Prime and, and now Infinity Wars number one, I legitimately thought they were bringing together the stones into a watch, like a mm-hmm. timepiece. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I, I really did not like the move from a gauntlet to a timepiece, but I much prefer the Infinity Watch as a collection of people. I thought that was a neat concept. I thought that was interesting. Um, you know, the stones all together are powerful and dangerous. Yeah. It makes total sense to have, you know, a certain person watching over one stone uh, to make sure that they don't fall into the hands of the wrong person. So, I mean, I thought that part was really cool. I mean, I'm just going to be totally honest here. I'm sticking around for Diodato's art. I mean, yeah, this guy is fantastic. He, the layout structure is dynamite. You know, I think I mentioned it last week with the the layouts and the polyptic techniques that he's using, which I just think is fantastic. Um, it, more than anything else, I keep coming back just because I drool over the art inside this book. Um, I hope it keeps going. I hope it continues to be as cool as it is. Um, 
But other than that, I mean, the one other thing that I really liked in this issue was uh, Loki Odin's son. Uh, again, you got to read the issue to get a little bit more into that. But it was kind of an interesting twist. I yeah. don't know if he's ever been. I can't seen believe before. I almost forgot that. But yeah, that, that was my favorite <laughs> cameo until the big reveal at the end. Right. But no, uh, the whole concept they're going for it now. The idea is cool. Like, there's a lot of players on the chessboard. There's a lot happening. Everyone's looking over their shoulders. You don't know who to trust. So f for a first issue, it was dynamite, and the arc seems like it's going to carry carry forward as well. It also seems like maybe I'm just thinking too close to what I feel comfortable with or too close to home. It just, it sort of feels like the way that DC has been setting up their major crossover events. I don't feel that it resonates in the same way that, um, you know, Marvel's big events have like Civil War or even Civil War II, right? This seems, even Secret Wars, right? And, and all that kind of stuff. This seems like the setup is a bit different. It seems like the stakes are cosmic and and huge at a level that some of the others have been more grounded maybe mm -hmm. um and, and i mean that's not a criticism of either what's come before or the current no. i think it's actually interesting and it it separates what's come before to where we are now and it, it really shows us that the stakes are real like i mean you know thanos may not be getting a hold of all these stones but if requiem collects them like what is the final goal mm -hmm. you know that whole like the devil you know is gone and Absolutely. now you got a devil you don't so yeah and and i mean i don't know if this has been revealed i don't think it's a huge spoiler but i mean the fact that uh the the power stone i believe is in the hilt of requiem sword so requiem as a villain is already in possession of one of those stones i mean it gives you that it gives that character the weight in danger that you felt that thanos always kind of had um, especially knowing, you know, the end of Infinity Wars Prime where Requiem kills Thanos. I mean, knowing that this person is in possession of one of the Infinity Stones, they only need, what, five more? There's six of them? One Infinity Stone, and they've already killed Thanos. Yeah, Thanos. And, with one stone. And there is a major death in this book, too. Requiem takes out another major player, um... That was a little bit heartfelt. You gotta, you gotta read that one. Yeah, this issue gets doesn't waste much time getting the ball rolling. No, absolutely. you get a little bit of pleasantries in the beginning, and then they're right into it. Yeah, so I'm gonna keep it going with this uh, story. I don't know how many issues this major crossover is gonna be, but I'm definitely gonna stay on board with it for at least the next couple to see if I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I was creeping. It's one of those crossover events. I mean, it's got the Infinity Wars one to at least six, I believe, but then there's mini stories in between. You yeah, know, I won't read those. I won't be following those. <laughs> but as far as the Infinity Wars, like those direct issues, I'll be I'll be sticking around for those. Yeah, those are like the Hunt for Wolverine stories. I am yeah. not reading the side ones yeah. at all. But anyway, I mean, it'll be interesting to keep following, and I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. Number two this month. Okay, so the number two number one that we're going to be jumping into this week is Justice League 5. Now, I know what you listeners are thinking. Five, that sounds ludicrous. You said number one. <laughs> well, every five issues, we are going to be getting a Legion of Doom story in the Justice League arc, which I, for one, am totally a fan of and completely down for. I think it's super interesting, too, that not only... Is it going to be a Legion of Doom focused story? But that James Tynion the Fourth is going to be taking over writing duties yeah. every five issues. It almost, I mean, it's going to give him a Justice League book, right? Like yeah. he is eventually we're going to collect. I'm assuming all of these Legion of Doom stories into a Legion of Doom collection by James Tynion, and I mean that guy is dynamite. I am super excited for it. And for me, that's close to my heart because one thing I love about DC 
is that I can relate to a lot of their villains truly believing that they're the hero of their own story. And I love, I have a love for Sinestro, guys like that that can blur the line. And I really like to read, you know, what have the Legion of Doom done behind the scenes before they jump on page and are confronting the Justice League? They're an interesting group of characters to me with Black Manta and um, Cheetah, Lex Luthor, Sinestro, the usual suspects. I really like to hear what they have going on when they're not just fighting the Justice League. See, and I think, I, I love that you said that because I totally agree, but one of my few criticisms for this book, and there aren't a ton because I did enjoy it, but one of the few criticisms that I have right now in both Justice League proper and this first issue is that we're it's really Luther, Sinestro, and Grodd heavy. It is, yeah. There are some is. other villains on this team that I'd like to know more about or I'd like to see more from. Black Manta. Have you seen Black Manta? I, was I just know. About to say. He's always been one that interests yeah. me. Cheetah is a member of the Legion of Doom. Let's Cheetah's going to be the main villain in the new Wonder Woman movie. Let's get her front and center. Let's yeah. start doing some stuff here with them. Um, I mean, but that being said, right, I'm hoping that these are things that are going to start being filled out as issues go on. Yeah, I mean, these issues, it seems like, you know, the first two, even three sort of took off and now four and five have kind of backtracked and explained why we are where, where we're at and uh, with a heavy emphasis on Lex Luthor. But I mean... I'm loving the way he's writing Lex Luthor right now, and if I'm to understand that these other members of the Legion of Doom are going to get the same similar treatment that Lex has been getting right now, then I can't wait to read an issue where, like you said, maybe Black Manta's the focal point because they're going after Aquaman this issue. But Lex specifically, we finally get that fill-in as to what happened to turn him back into a villain. The jump from No Justice, where he was a hero, to, you know, the, the Scott Snyder's Justice League story where he's the main villain again. I mean, it is good. It's believable. Yeah. It is totally oh, yeah. believable. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, in a comic book sort of way. I mean, the reveal of where Luther gets his information from and why that actually changes him, I fully believe that's his character. Yeah, I mean, and he is pompous. He mm -hmm. is full of himself. It is 100% believable yeah. that that would cause him to about face and turn back into a villain after being a hero for a long stretch. Well, it's his ego. I mean, that's his, that's his Achilles heel. As soon as that thing starts getting stroked, he'll do whatever he can to keep it going. But no, I agree. I mean, we're comic readers. We've seen Lex be good and bad I don't know how many times, and for whatever reason or another, he's switching. But this is a new, good, original idea. I yeah. like it. It makes sense to me, and I haven't seen it done before. So I, I can't wait to keep reading. I'm enjoying this, and I love the idea that Legion of Doom is getting an issue every five. That's yeah, funny. I think it's great. It's nice because you're not forcing the readers... I mean, two, twofold, right? You're not forcing the readers to fork out more money for a Legion of Doom book that they have to read alongside Justice League. Mm -hmm. It's being fit inside Justice League proper. And then on top of it, you know, I mean, it gives... Tinian the room and space to really build the Legion of Doom mythos within the Justice League mythos. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to worry about continuity things going on or, or you know, this Legion of Doom issue happens in between Justice League 3 and 4. It's like, no, no, no. Every five, Every five yeah. issues. Here's you read Legion your four. It's like, so by the way, that's what the Justice League was doing. Here's what the Legion of Doom was up to in the meantime. And I mean, I don't know... I don't know about you guys. You know, I don't know when, you know, you were born, what you were watching when you were kids. But I mean, like... And, I mean, we certainly weren't born when the Super Friends cartoon was no. incredibly popular. But, I mean, I remember watching Super Friends cartoon reruns, yeah. right? Right alongside, you know, the amazing, the old Amazing Spider-Man cartoons. Um, not the one from the 90s. The ones from the 80s, right? Um, man, I mean, it's just, it's super cool. 
I mean, it's really super cool to see the Legion of Doom, uh, you know, and the Hall of Doom and all that stuff and, and getting the explanation for it and the reversed parallels that we have between the Hall of Justice and what's going on with the Justice League. It's really cool. There, there's a really interesting narrative parallelism that Snyder is using to tell this story that I really like. And, I mean, so far, I, there hasn't been any major missteps. I think this no, has been a great no, series. They, they've been Five issues strong. Point. They've been pretty on point. Like I said, I'm fanboying over the Legion of Doom resurgence, but, I mean, you're only as strong as your villains. And I'm loving seeing that the villains are getting so much attention because this is the Justice League. And, you know, they have to have a worthy opponent. They have to have an opponent you truly believe could potentially beat them. Yeah. Or that, with all this other world stuff we've got going on, that maybe by a slip or two, it would have been them who were Justice League. or and, and you believe that they have the force and the power to be like, oh, we don't have Batman, but we've got, you know, this guy instead. And you genuinely believe, no, this team could be running shows yeah, if you, the Justice League didn't you exist. You legitimately feel that there is a danger the Justice League do not win yeah. this fight. Um, I Granted, mean, like you said, uh, there's some people like Black Manta, yeah. uh, Cheetah's got to get some love. We are, we are focusing on the, you know, sort of three so far. But hey, we're only five issues in, and this is technically the first one for Legion of Doom, so... Yeah. Legion of Doom number one was a success as far as I'm concerned. Success. Not quite as good as Tinian's Justice League Dark last week, but excellent in and of itself. Oh yeah, I'll be following. All right, ladies and gentlemen, so the third, number one of the week that we're going to chat about is Leviathan number one from Image Comics, written by John Lehman of Chew fame, for those of you that have followed that, and art by Nick Patera. I gotta say, Patera is firing on all cylinders in this book. I think that it was the absolute standout part of Leviathan number one. There are some pages in this comic that I would pay hundreds of dollars to own as original art. Uh, the monster, the kaiju Godzilla ripoff, uh, it looks fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's actually how I wish Godzilla would look a lot of the time. <laughs> um, and I mean, just some of the stuff that's in here, I don't want to ruin too, too much. Uh, you know, some of the things that we've got going on between Vivian, uh, and our main character, whose name is escaping me, Ryan, I believe, yeah. uh, at this point, there's just some really cool things happening. And, yeah, you got to get to the end of the book for some of the best art. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think it I think he does a really really great job with it. And I mean, Layman is who we know. I think there's a lot of uh a lot of chew to be found in this comic. Um for those of you that liked it, I think you'll probably dig a lot of uh his writing here. Um but I think, you know, Nick Patera is the standout as far as I'm concerned in issue 1. Yeah, for me, I I've got to agree with you that the standout is the art for number 1. Like you said, some of these panels are just gorgeous and uh, especially near the end, the Trump cameo is near and dear. Somebody dear to my is heart. paying somebody I mean, is paying hundreds of dollars. I would love a poster of just that <laughs> filthy disgusting animal but you know Donald it, Trump it is, is, what it is. If, if Donald Trump reads oh, comics oh, he is looking happy. at this page and he is saying I want that above my bed yeah. <laughs> unless but, it's already there who knows and, and that's really the art was it was the crux of it for me I mean for me personally the story itself it was almost a little too much too fast like they tried to cram a lot into one issue and I'm being introduced to characters I don't even fully understand and then I'm oh this is my love interest and this is the enemy and by the way this thing's running around and 
in a bit of a sense, the art slowed it down a little bit for me. Whereas you yeah. know, the literature would throw a lot at you at one page, but if it's a two-panel thing, the art's kind of directing me. Well, this is what's really important. You know, we did give you that tidbit of information, but we'll come back to that. From a comic studies perspective, for anybody out there who's interesting, I find that this book really it it doesn't quite unify the visual and the linguistic the way that I want to see comics mm -hmm. being unified. I found that I was either looking to the art to clarify a missing piece yes, yeah. from the the text or doing vice versa and yeah. trying to see if I'm putting things together correctly. I mean, there's a very, very subtle insinuation that this kaiju monster is in fact a demon mm -hmm. um, when he is first introduced after the big boom uh, onomatopoeia that happens. I mean, we get 666 drawn into the smoke. But I mean, up until that point, you know, there's some other cool things in here as well, actually, now that I'm looking at it. I mean, there's reference to a beast gym, right? So like beast as in, you know, 666, the demon, right? Something like that. Um, but I mean, up until that point, you're just sitting there and you're saying, where the where the hell did this thing come from? Yeah. We're being, we're being thrown four different narratives at once. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that they're trying to build some type of, uh, of suspense, but he pulls the suspense out from you by the end of this issue. So what was the point? Yeah. Like, I mean, when I closed this issue, I kind of just breathed a sigh of relief and was like, okay, so what just happened? Like mm -hmm. I almost had to go back and revisit because just as you're beginning to get established in the beginning, he sort of pulls the carpet and then you think, okay, so now this requires all my attention but the monster becomes an afterthought at that yeah. point. And he's talking about other things, but it, I mean, and this is just personal stuff. It's just for, for me, I just, it didn't flow the greatest. I find myself revisiting a couple times going, you know, did I read that panel correct or did I miss something on this page? Yeah. But you're right, because it's doing so much. I mean, it's like Godzilla meets romance comedy meets apocalyptic action adventure meets Pacific Rim with the giant robots. Like, I mean, it's trying yeah. really hard to be a lot of different things. And it's serious, but there's levity. But then yeah. they, he's, at the same time, he's trying to show you there's levity, but this is grounded. And it's it's just a little I just too ultimately much really. feel like that's its downfall. It feels like a closet where you throw things, you know, like there's a mismatched shoe and a hat yeah. and a broom and a vacuum cleaner or something right and you open this closet and you're like well you could be using this space so much more efficiently yeah if you maybe picked one thing like is this a coat closet is this a broom closet right i mean that's a terrible analogy but i think you get the point um i just i feel like there's a lot of potential here that is almost wasted or, or there's way too much thrown into this number one. And I mean, for me, it's, it's going to cause me not to come back. I'm not going to come back for Leviathan two. Yeah. I don't think I'll be coming back for it either. It, like I said, it was just a little bit too much. Um, you know, before I'm even trying to get into invested in one character, I'm having something else thrown at me and I don't know. I, I hate to use the word, you know, that it was just like, like story vomit in an issue. Like we only have X amount of pages to tell this story let's just get it all down but that is kind of how it felt to me and am i am i wrong in thinking this is a miniseries i believe it's a miniseries yeah, mini, is it 12 issues it's a maxi uh, let me just check here let's see if it's gonna tell me i don't know that i can find it anyway i mean you know if it were a mini maybe i'd consider coming back but yeah i mean especially if it's a 12 issue maxi i'm not spending my money on this book i'll i'll spend it somewhere else yeah, well, I'll be doing the same thing. But hey, if you're a monster fan and all that jazz, yeah, it's worth checking out. It's worth checking out for you. Yep.
Okay, so that brings us to the fourth number one of the week, which is Super Sons. Adventures of Super Sons, number one. Super Sons. Now, for me, this was my introduction to the Super Sons, and more importantly, to the character of Jonathan Kent. And Zach's been telling me for weeks now, it's great, John Kent's such an awesome character, just you wait, just you wait. I had so much hype and build up going into this novel, and it delivered in every. Yeah, this could have backfired on me bad because every sense yeah. of the word. Oh, did I love it! The art, the writing—I mean, the, the the dynamic between the two of them alone. They could be sitting in a donut shop talking about the weather, and I would be—I would sit there and read every single word of that comic. And that was absolutely the special part of the last Super Sons. Um, I mean, I was heartbroken when they announced that it was finishing. Um, I thought it was one of the most fun comics that DC was publishing. I'm not going to say it was one of the best in terms of story and, and use, but I mean, holy crap, was it fun. I was so excited to crack open every single book of Super Sons. And so when they announced that Adventures of Super Sons was coming back as a 12-issue maxi series. I was beyond excited. And I mean, Dustin is not kidding you. I hyped it up so much and it could have backfired on me if this issue was bad. Thank God it was a continuation of the fun rollup and relationship that John Kent and Damien had from Super Sons. Yeah, and even going off what you just said there, I mean, there was a couple couple things, a couple ideas that were in this comic that I am not particularly fond of in most comics. And had it been done in another comic, I might have been like, you know, I'm not sure if I'm feeling this, but the writing and the characters and the it just flows. For me, I find myself going, you know what, that, that's a little ridiculous, but for this story, absolutely. Why yeah. not? It works. It's good. This isn't a big, you know, universe-altering event. It actually, I believe it takes place in time that's already passed, so it's... it's yeah, so, set, so, so for those of you guys <laughs> that are following continuity and wondering where, you know, how the hell is Jonathan Kent on Earth when he's actually with Zor-El out and, you know, exploring the, the cosmos, uh, this issue actually takes place... Between uh, number 16 of Super Sun, so the very last issue, and the summer, Super Sun special. Yeah, the annual. Um, yeah. The annual that came out. So, so yes, we are in the past. Although, that being said, when the very first panel opened up with a big smiling John Kent that said, I'm back. I like my heart jumped because mm-hmm. I was like, oh my god, he's back. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, I knew in my heart of hearts, that Brian Michael Bendis was not going to let him come back in a book that he was not writing. I'm sure he has plans for John. I know he's coming back soon. Um, You know, it just, I was so excited. Uh, You know, the, the thing that jumps out to me, the thing that I really, really liked is that there were a lot of nice nods to comics history in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we saw Morrison Bay in uh, The Super Sons, which is a obviously a reference to Grant Morrison. Um, the cool one that I liked was Alan Swan as the creator of the Superman statue, which is a reference, I believe, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe is a reference to Alan Moore and Kurt Swan, who were the writer and artist of Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow mm. when that statue got erected. You see, that one, would, I knew that was they were shouting out to something there, but that was one that went over my head. That's, that's my guess. I yeah. could be wrong, but I'm pretty... I, I'd be willing to bet that I'm right with that one. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, the big, the new bad guys that they introduced at the end, again, I think, is this what you were getting at with, it's not something I was alluding to this a little bit, yeah, yeah, that, you know, this is something I wouldn't necessarily agree with, but for this story, this comic, I, I'm, I will absolutely put my faith in the writing. From what I've read so far, yeah, I think that's a great turn for the story. Now, are these guys we've seen before? 
myself, I have not. I don't know, think so. I have either. I'm I'm f- I'm fairly certain these are new creations, um, because they do make reference coming from a parallel dimension or another universe. Yeah, I mean, when I saw them, uh, yeah, and they mentioned the universe thing, I loosely thought maybe some kind of crazy toy man or there's a toy man's world. Maybe yeah. But yeah. I I didn't. And I didn't feel compelled to have to answer why these no, people were right. where they Agreed. came from. I went, okay, you know, the comic says they're here, and I, I've read enough <laughs> of the story that I'm going to see why they're here. I'm not going, oh, you know, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. It's, it's not one of those comics. It's its own independent story, and it's just, it's a great, fun read. I mean, for anyone who likes Superman-Batman team-ups or their dynamic or how they poke at each other, for me, this is like... If you put sock and boppers on both of them and let them jump into a jumping jamboree, they could actually let loose a little bit. I mean, I have some of them written down here at at one point. um, Well, I guess I won't read them verbatim, but they do just have, they really understand each other. You can tell the writing, he gets the world, he gets the relationship between John and Superman just as much as he gets the relationship between Bruce and Damien. I absolutely adore John and and Damien working together. Mm. I'm super disappointed that John is not a member of the Teen Titans. I think... The Damien that we're seeing in Teen Titans versus the Damien we're seeing in Super Sons. I mean, Damien in Teen Titans is just a dick for the sake of being a dick. I don't feel like there's anything else that's there. That's a good point. Yeah, Damien here point. is... There's levity to him. Yes. He, Not much. Yes, yes he's he's more Batman-esque in that, you know, he's... Uh, he's He's not an outgoing young man no. by any stretch of the imagination. He's very to the point. He's terse. But he's not taking himself quite as seriously as he is in yeah, I Yeah, I mean, he beats the shit out of John with the, the statue just yeah. for fun a couple I mean, of times, just, right? Like, and I mean, that is that is the... And whether it's the friend relationship that's there between the two of them versus, you know, what Damien views as maybe a professional relationship with the Teen Titans. I mean, the Teen Titans, the old Teen Titans, make appearances in Super Sons. And, I mean, that's the Damien Wayne that I want to read more of um the Damian Wayne that has grown and maybe is willing to acknowledge even unconsciously that he is still a kid right like yeah. he would never say out loud like I did this just because I wanted to you know mess around with you but I mean that is exactly what a child would do well exactly like you said with the statue and even just the little uh like the Alan Swan little reference he makes to himself under his breath it's just little things like that it's just it seems like while he is Batman-esque, he's not taking himself quite as seriously as he is in every... Like, he can, you know, when no one's paying attention to him and he thinks Superman's, uh, Superboy's looking away, he can chuckle to himself. Yeah. Where you don't feel like that's even the case in Teen Titans. Yeah. No, I mean, like I said, this issue, I mean, I am so on board with it. I, I don't really know what else to say. You guys really should be reading Adventures of Super Sons. If it yeah. was not something you picked yeah. up uh, yesterday when you went to your local comic book shop, you should absolutely call them and rectify that situation like yesterday. It took years of writing, but Damian Wayne finally has a friend. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so moving right along, we are going to talk now about The Seeds, number one, from Dark Horse Comics, written by Anne Nascenti, drawn by David Aja. Dustin, I'm pretty sure I liked this more than you did. Yeah, I'm going to be quick on this one, because Zach, <laughs> uh, I believe he understood it and enjoyed it a lot more than I did. The fir- When I read this comic, for some odd reason, this is the first time I've ever said this in the history of reading comics, I felt like there was something wrong with me. <laughs> like I was missing something as a reader, because the story was airtight, You know, the tropes and the storytelling was all good. I couldn't find why I wasn't enjoying this comic so much, as much as it maybe just is a personal thing. But the story's interesting to me. The characters were good. I just... 
I, it's got to be a personal thing because I, I honestly read this comic and thought like, why am I not enjoying it? Why am I, what am I not getting from this? I should yeah. be loving this. This to me, this comic was an exercise in trying to do everything that comics can do and just messing with the reader. Um, I mean, it reminds me a lot of like 20th century British literature where they were trying to experiment with form and mess around with different things just for the sake of doing it, just to see if they could. And I found that there was a lot of that happening, not so much in terms of the actual structure of the comic, but formally there were a lot of weird things going on. Um, I really, really liked the uh, color scheme, which was almost like a sepia tone kind of pullback that, I mean, it set everything with... I felt like there was a filter over the comic. See, there was specifically something that w that the art and the colors were trying to keep from us. And I loved it. It almost was like... Um, and this was a point... Actually, I can't take credit for this. This was a point made by um, Hassan Atman Ohal, who does the panel-by-panel -panel comics and strip panel naked for anybody who watches those on YouTube. The man's a genius, but he made the point that the sepia color actually makes us think that we're watching TV, right? That mm. it's an old TV screen. And to me, when I was reading it, I mean, that what uh, Hassan said kind of re resounded with me because when I was reading it, I'm like, there is absolutely a filter here. There is something that we are intentionally being forced to either not see or that Aja and Nascenti really want to hide. Something between the reader and the actual panel. There's exactly. something there. And so, you know, is the world dark and grim and, and gritty and sepia tone? Or is that the filter that's being put over our eyes? Because there is a mediating process happening when we read comics. I mean, we naturally believe that what we see is what is being represented, that that's their world. But why? Why do we believe that? In, in what reason does the comic have in forcing us to say that that is exactly the way that that world looks? Think back to Rune World with the story world concepts, right? I mean, when we walked into that comic, the, Derek Laufman <laughs> builds that world in a fantastic, yeah, really vibrant, yeah. and colorful way, right? Is that the world that the characters are seeing in that specific comic? I think it probably mm -hmm. is because there's no other signal that says that it isn't. But this comic does. Whether the, it's the masks that people are wearing, the yeah. gas masks, there is something there that is being hidden from us. And that hooked me from the beginning of page one all the way to the end. I wanted to figure it out. And I don't know whether we actually get that reveal by the end, because there is a big reveal mm -hmm. at the end. I'm not positive that it's the one that I want answered, but it's part of it. It is definitely leading us towards getting that question answered. See, it's interesting the way that you just expressed that because I can relate to a ton of what you're talking about with, yes, the, the feeling that there's something there. But for me, it turned me off. It got a yeah. negative reaction because I, I felt like I was almost being tricked or seeing a trick, but I didn't know how to figure it out. And I know the book's tricking me, but I don't know how. I mean, it, it, with reference to the art, like you were saying... For me, I didn't like it, but I understood exactly why the tones yeah. had to be there. I understood why they went with this art style. It, it made complete and utter sense, and I wouldn't have... It wouldn't make sense if the world was colorful and whatnot. Yeah, but even from a surface perspective, working. in terms of the way that the text is being set up narratively, I mean, it makes sense, right? If we don't want to look any further, then, I mean, the world sucks, because... Yeah, but I, I mean, I, this comic is, is like Leviathan, doing a lot of things, mm -hmm. right? Like, it's post-apocalyptic, it's well, I climate would say change in comparison, and ecology. To, in comparison to the Leviathan, though, this is much more technically I sound. would agree, agree. Absolutely. Even though I may not have enjoyed it, I can give it the technical appreciation for sure. 
And it's just, yeah, you know, I think it's a personal thing. It just, there's very much a sense that something's being held back or, you know, there's just something behind the scenes. And for me, it, it maybe it's a personal thing. It's just, I kind of felt like I'm being tricked or there's something I'm not being told and I want to know. Whereas if you're the kind of reader that can handle the suspense, I'm sure, I'm sure they'll be bringing some, some, some much more, uh, good and original ideas with this comic. Like, again, myself, I, I didn't enjoy it, but I would recommend this one to somebody. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. and see, I'm the sadomasochist who reads James Joyce's Ulysses and Finnegan's Wake for fun and enjoys <laughs> being lost. So for me, like, this comic really jumped out at me as, as being something special, yeah. something that really shows what comics have the potential to do and be, and it is certainly not going to be for everybody. No, but no. If no you're story. even remotely... Yeah, I mean, the story it, it, in and of itself is kind of cool. It is very right? cool. Like, it's, it's, very it's cool. a neat story where they're going, uh, you know, mixing the, the post-apocalyptic, the, you know, ecology, climate change concerns, the sci-fi angle that they're going with. I mean, I like it. Even just from a narrative perspective, I'm interested to see where things are going. But, I mean, it's worth a pick up if you are even remotely interested in the way that comics tell stories. Yeah, you know, and again, I can't I didn't enjoy it personally, but I would recommend it. And yeah, that might absolutely. sound crazy, but I, I can just tell from the structure of the comic and the storytelling, it's absolutely worth a pickup for somebody. It just didn't happen to scratch my itch. Yeah, yeah. Let us know on Twitter if you guys like it. I'd love to hear what other people think. Yeah, tell me what I'm not seeing. <laughs> <laughs> so the last number one of the week we're going to be taking a look at is Paradise Court number one, which is number one out of a five-part miniseries. I gotta say right off the hop, I'm gonna be reading this miniseries for sure. Um, I was captivated right from the intro with this one. It's an original idea, original story. I feel the art works just fantastically with the tone of the comic, and not only that, with the writing. I feel they do a great job of piggybacking off each other in this issue, in, uh, sorry, this opening issue for this. You know, the art can carry the literature sometimes, and the literature relies on the art sometimes, and it just flows. Um, I mean, from the very beginning of myself, personally, I enjoyed the, uh, the man on the cover. I had to know. I was like, so who is this guy better be in this issue somewhere? And you're introduced to him pretty darn quick. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure we see him a couple of times. Oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm yeah. not, you know, not positive. Uh, but, yeah, you know, know for certain, but... But there's some insinuations. I'm going to disagree with you slightly here, Dustin. I don't think necessarily that what we get at the beginning is a very original concept. Right? I feel like we've seen the darkness under the glitter before. Yeah. Okay. Right? The, yeah. the what seemingly looks stainless is actually very terrible and, and terrifying. I mean, we can go back all the way to Picture That's Dorian true. Gray even to think about that. However, what I do think is different here is the angle that it's taking. Again, we're getting like these college kids who are searching for, you know, trying to meet up with a friend that they haven't seen in a long yeah. time. I mean, it's usually with this type of story, I feel like what I've seen is a family moves in and becomes victims. Yeah. Right? Whereas this is almost like, you know, visitors who may or may not even get dragged into what's happening in this community. I mean, if you think about it, it's not like the members of the household whom they visit, like Amy is looking to visit her old friend Janie, I believe. Yeah, Janie. And Janie lives in Paradise Court, uh, mm. you know, which is this beautiful idyllic gated community. We've already learned that it maybe isn't quite what it looks like. People tend to get lost. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, the thing is that nobody 
in Paradise Court is saying, oh, you guys should come and do this. Yeah. You, know, you guys should be yeah. drawn into the. They're literally just hanging out. And it's Amy and the others that are inserting themselves mm-hmm. into the situation. So, I mean, in that respect, I think it's kind of interesting. Um, but I do have to agree 100%. I think the art's fantastic. Oh, the art the, is great. The rendering and design of the big bad uh, that I believe the story is promoting, I thought I, I think it looks really, really cool. Just even throughout the issue, there was a lot of great just suspense building with the, with the writing, but then just the art from, from little things like characters sh- saying something and then shooting each other a look in the next panel with yeah. no dialogue, or somebody in the background, or somebody giving someone the hairy eyeball. It was yeah. all little things that... There's a lot of detail in There the was art. a lot of detail yeah, in the art. I'm sure I missed some things, yeah. to be honest with you, and I thought I was picking up on some stuff. And I do, I like, even, there, Amy clearly has something hiding in her closet. Yeah. Um, apparently I like closet metaphors today, but, <laughs> um, I mean, like, there have been a couple of references, even just at the beginning of the book, where they're talking about, you know, Amy trying to escape something from her past. Yeah. I, I'm wondering if there's a, there's clearly going to be a connection to Paradise Court at some point, I think. Um, but, I mean, it's interesting just to start considering what that might be. We know that, I'm assuming that Amy is first, second year university student. Yeah. They're on spring break. Yep. Um, she uh, has well, sorry, they're their last year because they were saying this is it. Last this year? is for oh, all this the marbles. Their last big hurrah. So, I mean... It's been at least four years since Amy has seen her friend. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm pretty sure it references exactly the number, but I don't remember what it is. Um, But it's... it's, I'm not 100% sold on it, but again, it's a five-issue miniseries. Um, The art is really great. Uh, I'm probably going to pick up the next one just to see. I'm going to. I mean, I agree with you looking back now. Yeah, we've absolutely seen the whole not everything's as great as it seems theme before. But I think the characters in this one, the yeah. players are different. And yeah, that's I what, agree. that's what's got my interest. Yeah. yeah and know. I mean, they're relatable, right? I mean, I think we're a few years out from mm-hmm. college and university at this point, but I mean they are they well, seem real, which is which is neat. Well, and even for the story of just necessarily, if you want to look at this issue from what happens in the beginning as a who done it, I mean I've got a couple ideas by the end, but I I wouldn't confidently say I know enough in in this world. Like I still have a lot of questions that need yeah. answering, and questions I'm interested in enough to pick up another issue yeah. to, to look for those answers. Yeah, and I mean four more issues I think is not a ridiculous amount. Yeah. Uh, to be to be planning ahead for expecting those answers. So. Yeah, you know this. Yeah, you're not asking a lot for me to pick up. You know, four four more issues, not a big deal. And the, yeah, the first based off what I read in the first one, the other four are definitely gonna be worth a pickup. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, I'll, if you're looking for anything one. like you know, we said this before, but maybe non Marvel, non DC, non hero, just some adult readers out yeah, there. Big, but this you is don't necessarily book, right? want glo- like blood, glory, and swearing. This is kind of that intermediary comic where it's just it's just a story. It's just a story to be told and. Got so far, I, I think there might be some blood and gore coming in the in the near future. Not specifically only <laughs> blood and gore. <laughs> All right, Dustin, the time has come. We need to decide on our number one, number one of the week. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like this might be tough for you. I feel like you can just go ahead and read my mind and say it. <laughs> All right, I'm pretty sure Dustin's going to pick Adventures of Super Sons as his number one Absolutely, this week. Absolutely, I'm picking that. Um, you know, this was hard for me, guys. I absolutely loved Seeds, number one. I thought it was fantastic. But that being said, if it had come out on any other week, 
I can almost guarantee you could bet your money that it would be my number one pick. Mm-hmm. But when it comes out alongside Super Sons, there's just no way. I mean, I I get giddy and excited every time I crack open a Super Sons book. I mean, we've been tinkering with this podcast for about a month now and doing some reading. And you said you felt that uh, Justice League Dark had been the best thing you've read so far. This is my number one nominee for the best thing I've read in this last four to five weeks of comic reading. I just can't say enough good things about this issue. The stories, uh, I just, I want to go home and read it. I, I wish just to tell you how good it is, I could just sit here and read it to the podcast. But <laughs> And I feel, you know, I didn't mention this when we were talking about it, but, uh, you know, Damien's little discussion with his teacher about his extra credit yeah. project. I mean, I just finished my MRP, you know, finished my major research from a master's. And, I mean, Damien submitting a 1,200-word paper in grade school college level thesis just pisses it, me off it was like a bonus question too it was like a bonus question it's like I wanted a paragraph, paragraph. <laughs> yeah you gave me a 1200 word college level thesis oh uh, and it's just great I mean if it was an independent Damien story it would be cool if it was an independent John Kent story it would be cool but the fact that they are together going through whatever the hell it is that they're about to go through it's, it's gonna be great Hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what your number one, number one of the week was. Let us know if it's Adventure Super Sons. Maybe it's one of the other ones. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, so now we're going to be diving into uh, only a handful of continuity issues this week. Uh, There was a lot of number ones, so we don't have a ton. We've only got four to go through. Four that are worth going through. Four that are worth going through. But the first one we're taking a look at, and one that I enjoyed, is Immortal Hulk number four. Um, first of all, we got to say Sasquatch and Department oh, H. Shoutouts. Love getting that Canada. Love. I just want Alpha Flight back so bad. Um, now, for some Hulk fans, they may not be loving this this current arc, um, but for me, I'm really enjoying it. It's a lot different. It's a more grounded story for the Hulk. You know, there's been a lot of cosmic stuff going on with Marvel and all the Infinity Stones, and everything seems like these giant, huge weighted world-ending events and. Having a grounded story with the Hulk and Bruce Banner uh, is very interesting to me right now. I feel like it's been a while since we visited the Bruce Banner-Hulk dynamic. Yeah. And it's from a different angle. Probably since Jason Aaron. Yeah, yeah which like I'm enjoying. Six which years is ago. Like a horror perspective. You're not, I'm not necessarily reading Bruce Banner narrating himself in an issue or narrating the Hulk in an issue. It's, I'm getting perspectives of other people yeah. and what it's like to live in, a wor- live in their world where there's a Hulk running around. Yeah. And... Yeah, I mean, from Sasquatch coming in himself to try to come over and help the cause because of his history with Bruce Banner. Yeah. This issue this issue pulled some stuff in which I like. Again, I was going to say, it's just, it's a pretty simple grounded story for me, but I don't need much more in, in the Hulk right now. Yeah, I feel like, uh, I'm, I feel like such a hypocrite. Um, I mean, I have been one who really didn't like the direction that Ewing was taking the Hulk. I mean, not that I haven't liked the story because I think he's doing a fantastic job and the horror aspect is interesting, but there were just, this isn't the Hulk that I want to see. I want to see, you know, building, destroying, smashing Hulk, right? Mm-hmm. That That's who the Hulk is to me. He's not the guy that goes in and, and deals with a standoff in a church, you know, with a bad guy yeah. or, or like, you know, even, even this kind of stuff. So that being said... I feel like a massive hypocrite when I think it works with Lankowski and and Sasquatch. Um, But, I mean, honestly, the characters are different, right? Yes, they have similar histories. You know, 
Bruce Banner has his gamma radiation accident. Uh, Lankowski tries to replicate that and becomes the Sasquatch. The difference that I find is that the Sasquatch always had that aspect of the mythical or the magical with the Tanarak yeah. demon. Um, you know, and, and I think that that changes things a little bit for me. Plus, the fact that Lankowski's powers and his alter ego in the Sasquatch come from the concept of a real creature. Like, there are people who go around looking for Sasquatches, right? And, I mean, it's almost more believable that Sasquatch could be killed and come back to life than it is for me that Hulk gets killed and comes <laughs> back to life. You know, even the massive healing regeneration power that we learned about Hulk last issue, I mean, it just, it doesn't seem right to me for this character. And I'm not saying that there are people out there who don't disagree with me. You're more than welcome yeah. to. I just, Hulk has never been a guy that I've seen to have massive health regeneration. You know, I I don't understand how that laser even pierced him. It should have bounced right yeah. off of him, right? I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing that I think works well with Sasquatch. The actual real-world Sasquatches, if they do actually exist, which I'm not saying they do, don't <laughs> jump on me. I mean, they're hunted, they're, they're you know, prowled, they're... they're sought after I mean it would make sense that, or, yeah it would know. make sense that they get shot at and yeah. maybe would need the ability to heal quicker so while these powers don't necessarily fit with my conceptualization of the Hulk I think they fit really well with Sasquatch in who that character is and especially now in 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 the post Tanarak Sasquatch era I mean Sasquatch needs a reset, a setup for his powers, right? He needs a a renewed origin or a renewed place to start. And if this leads to an Alpha Flight hey. or a Sasquatch standalone miniseries or something, I mean, hell, I am so on board because those are characters that I love and those are characters that I really want to see more of in the Marvel Universe. Um, I know that they're searching for Wolverine right now and stuff, but I mean... That that's a Wolverine centric mini story. Don't even get me started on Wolverine. We'll talk about him <laughs> eventually, I'm sure. Um, but I mean, like, it was good. That's about all I can say. It was good because Sasquatch is in it. I will keep reading. Believe me, I planned on stopping after issue yeah, one. Yeah. The fact that Ewing has hooked me all the way into issue five at this point kind of pisses me off when I plan to drop the book. But that being said, I can't fault the guy. I mean, I can't fault the story that's being told because it is doing something right. Yeah. And I mean, uh, yeah, like he said, we've been, we've been kind of opposed from day one. I, I've liked this. I've liked the story arc, Zach, not so much. And to his credit, he's more of a Hulk fan than myself. So like I said, you know, for those of you who love your Hulk running around smashing things, just being the muscle man, this may not be for you. I mean, from my perspective, once you make the Hulk immortal, there's really only so many stories you can tell with him. Yeah, that's a great and point. to my surprise, this is a good, a good story and a grounded story. It doesn't necessarily focus on the fact that he now can't be killed. There are other things going on that are more important than that. And, and like with the introduction of Sasquatch, it's just it's, it's been cool. Like I said, there, there's really only so much you can do with an all-powerful being who's now also immortal. And the fact that I'm getting a grounded story with some heart is... That flows well is going good for me. But so now, I mean, Sasquatch is immortal too then. Is that not the implication they're making? 
is it really so awful if next issue they just beat each other to death forever and ever and ever and never die? So every issue moving forward of the Immortal Hulk is no, the Immortal I mean, Hulk versus the Immortal Hulk. My, my, my Hulk knowledge would be, like, I made a joke to Zach before we did the start the podcast today. Well, next issue is the Hulk is going to completely smash into pieces and then we never see Sasquatch again. And for me, that's a, that's a familiar Hulk uh, trope. I, I don't think that'll be happening. No, I don't. Issue. I don't expect the Hulk to just pound this one away and then we get an, another name drop. I wouldn't be surprised <coughs> if we just don't see a fight at all. If Lankowski doesn't just... I don't need to see a fight. I was just saying that. Was yeah, a, no, I don't I, need no, to see absolutely. a fight. Yeah. I, and, and honestly, I don't really want to see a fight. No. I would rather see Lankowski take back control of Sasquatch and... Uh, you know, sit down and have a conversation with yeah, Bruce. Yeah, show him some of that inner peace and, yeah. you know, some, some of that serenity of the mind that we got here. Yeah, so I will... I will be reading issue five. I definitely will be. <laughs> Alright, Batman number 52 is the next book we're going to talk about. I don't think there's a ton to talk about here. It was a good book. Uh, second part of the Cold Days arc that Tom King started uh, with last... With two weeks ago yep. uh, in Batman 51. There's a couple more references to the wedding and, you know, to Batman maybe not being in his right place uh, when he confronted Cold. But I have to say, the one part that I think is really cool here is that we actually have Bruce Wayne doing the investigation for Batman inside the system. Yes. He's literally in the system. Yeah. And, and because he is stuck there... That doesn't mean he's going to stop being Batman. That no, doesn't mean he's going to stop investigating. Yeah, I mean, what we're familiar with with Batman, it's like he's walking around as Bruce Wayne and the Batman personality is ready to just tear itself out and, and you know, that's the dominant personality. And here we are seeing Bruce Wayne in an environment where almost he has to, he has to analyze and look at the Batman personality and we're seeing the Bruce Wayne side do that just as meticulously and ferociously as he would if he was Batman hunting the Joker. Yeah, because I mean, I think it's kind of a cliche at this point to say that Bruce Wayne is actually Batman's alter ego. Yeah, right? that, that, the that, the, yeah that, that Bruce Wayne is actually Batman. Yeah, right? he's the disguise. Yeah. If he could have it, he'd be running around in black tights all day. But I mean, I think that Tom King has taken a very interesting approach here. Uh, it doesn't come off as cliche. It doesn't come off as silly or even unbelievable. It comes off as very interesting. And, you know, the way that the entire group of jury members are all against him. Yeah. You know, trying to say, no, Batman is awesome. Batman is infallible. Batman knows what he's doing. Yeah. And Bruce Wayne is saying, you people are insane. Like, like Batman makes mistakes. Yes. And he should know. You know what I mean? Which is something you do not see often in DC Never. comics or Batman comics. The usual theme is Batman saves Gotham despite Gotham City. Yep. People are usually quick to say, get him off the streets before they're willing to say, well, he helps me. But the, the, the script's kind of been flipped here. In this issue, it sees people are almost... I'm not going to go as far as to say they're putting too much faith in Batman. But now they're always... yeah. Bruce Wayne is having to tell them, no, Batman is fallible. Mm. He's not this all divine being. It's not like he, what he says is law, guys. He can make mistakes. There is something to the fact that we are reading this current arc while also remembering that about a year in the future, there are going to be riots because they don't want Batman in Gotham anymore, mm -hmm. right? Doomsday. Doomsday, <coughs> right? Sorry. I mean, we know that at some point Gotham's going to turn Gotham. on Batman. And to see how much faith they place in him right now at this moment, I mean, it suggests that something really goes wrong. There, something bad is coming. Well, it's also interesting to me, too, how, you know, you, you'd figure as Batman, all he's ever wanted is that the city would just back me. I can handle this stuff. 
And now that the city's behind Batman, it's almost made him skeptical that he's like, well, wait a minute, you know, this isn't, he's having to poke holes in his own facade, which yeah. is just an original dynamic to me. It's like he's having to nitpick Batman. He spent all this time building this mythos. He's immortal. He's a bat. He's a vampire. He's a spirit. And now he's the one who's having to poke holes in it. Yeah. And I mean, the points that he's trying to get across to these people are that he's trying to have them think more critically about. I mean, they're points that I think Batman in his absolute top 100%, uh, you know, completely emotionally supported, emotionally, man, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. If Batman was at the top of his game, maybe he wouldn't have missed the fact that you know, the coroner didn't pick this up. Maybe he would yeah. have realized, you know, why didn't the coroner catch this? It would have been a thought in Batman's head, but with everything going on with Catwoman and not getting married, I mean, it is believable that he would have jumped to a conclusion without actually thinking it through all the way. I hope that actually came across clearly while I jumbled my words out there. No, and now we're seeing him have to be the one to analyze it i mean it's he may not have even made a mistake but he's the one leading the investigation into the possibility that he may have made a mistake yeah. and i don't for me it seems almost in this issue and it could just be me putting something that it's not there but there's this subtle undertone that fear is a big motivator and almost like bruce wayne or batman is feeling a little bit of fear for the mm -hmm. first time i mean the idea of fear we see uh you know Naturally, Batman's fear, Bruce Wayne's fear to, to get the wrong person. Um, you see Freeze acting incorrectly because he's, he just knows the Batman's coming. He's scared. Rather than even plead his case, he just wants to fight him. And um, the, the fear of the jury, you know, they just want to put their faith in Batman and just not have to deal with this stuff. And it's, it's interesting for me to see that he's... Yeah, he's almost feeling fear or a little bit of doubt for the first time where Batman's the guy. It's it's his way or the wrong way. You yeah. know, when is he ever really questioning, of all people, himself? Yeah, and I, and I mean, like, not that we're gushing so much over Tom King, because I, I do think he's fantastic. But, I mean, I want to see Lee Weeks and Elizabeth Breitweiser do books together for the rest of my <laughs> life. I mean, she is a phenomenal colorist. I think that she accentuates Weeks' work in an amazing way. And I think the book is just gorgeous. Um, the two of them together are a team that I, I mean, she's fantastic in and of her own right. And she's literally all over the place right now. Uh, her and her husband just did a red rooster story. I think they've got a new oh, superhero yeah? comic coming out, but that being said, I mean, I, I think the two of them are, are phenomenal and I would love to see her get much more work uh, at DC and alongside Lee Weeks, if they put out a book together where he's drawn and she's coloring, I am buying that book, no questions asked. Yeah, I mean, for me, this this arc or the, these issues boil down. It, the first issue for me to tee this arc off was a well well oiled machine, and this one does nothing to deter me from that thought. It's still moving along. I mean, I wish I could gush about it more, but. I need the next issue before I can yeah. start. I don't have enough pieces and I don't know enough of the puzzle yet, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, I don't think this is going to stand out in the pantheon of Tom King Batman stories in the way that The War of Jokes and Riddles or, I mean, even The Gift, you know, maybe in the wrong way, but even that The Gift uh, has stood out. But, I mean, it's definitely an interesting transition into where we're going next. Yeah, I'm definitely enjoying it so far. 
So another issue we're going to be diving into, but not spending too much time on, is Captain America number two. Yeah, and full disclosure, I didn't read it yet. Yeah, I mean, I read this one, but it, it didn't do a ton to sway me. Um, it's only number two out of the new story arc, but I, I think I'm officially giving this one one more issue. There's <laughs> enough here that I'll give it one more, but it's just, it's a lot of the same. It's a lot of, you know, familiar but different. Um... Cap's a man on the run again, you know, he's fell, fallen from grace, he's got to win back the love of everybody and, and the old school Cap, and he's contending with some perversions of himself, if you will, and it's just, I've seen it before, it's yeah. been done before, the art isn't anything to write home about, I mean, the biggest, <laughs> the, my biggest takeaway from this issue, to give you an idea, was, I was just curious to see if Sharon, Sharon Old, I, I, I couldn't <laughs> tell in the art, I mean, the art had it, that was the biggest thing I took away from this issue, and it's not to knock Captain America. It's just not necessarily for me. It's just, it's a little bit too much of, of the same. Yeah, I'm still bitter about the whole Secret Wars thing. Um, the, the the Hydra Cap. I, I know Hydra Cap is still around. I know that, you know, Steve dealing with the fallout of that is going to be a major part of this book. Um, I mean, I, that was introduced in issue one. Um, I mean, I will read issue two. Uh, I, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be reading it. I'm not reading, you know, Dan Slott's Iron Man. I'm not reading the Thor. The Marvel Universe just doesn't grab me in the way that the DC Universe does. And the story has to be really stellar mm -hmm. to get me to continue reading a book. Yeah. Um, and just right now, I don't see that with Cap. And and it's, it's uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates who's writing Cap right now. And, I mean, he had a, a great run on Black Panther that, I mean, was one of the few really exciting Marvel comics that I've read in the last little while. I mean, The Vision is the only other one that jumps to mind when Tom King was writing Vision. Um, I mean, I, I, I hope that we get somewhere interesting with this, but because we're dealing with the fallout of Secret War, I don't know that that's going to happen. Yeah, and I mean... I compare this one immediately to Spider-Man because it's reestablishing, you know, the status quo after a real big event. But to me, it's just, I would describe it as, oh, it's just another, it's just another cap story now taking place in the aftermath of everything that's gone on. It doesn't really bring anything new to the table. And, and you know, like in Spider-Man's case, that worked for some people. Some people may enjoy, you know, that this isn't such a crazy 10 different things are happening story we're, we're kind of getting more back focused on what we need to be back focused to on but for me i looked at spider-man the new amazing spider-man run i really really enjoy it there and here i just can't say the same but i don't think they're even doing the same thing here if they had just forgotten that hydra cap ever existed and ever happened i probably would be okay right i'd, I'd probably be saying you know i'll keep reading this because of all of the marvel heroes cap is one of the ones that He's i the, most yeah. enjoy yeah right but I think, you know, dealing with the fallout and continuing the story on from Secret Wars, I think that's the part that I'm having a hard time getting on board with. So, like like you said, I'm going to give it a little while. I am going to read yeah, this issue when one. I get around to it, but uh, it was not on the top of my stack, that's for sure. You got one issue left, Cap. All right, guys, so the last ongoing issue that we're going to talk about today is Mr. Miracle number 10. Uh, Dustin is not reading this book, so I'm going to vamp a little bit and tell you just how much I absolutely adore it. Um, Mr. Miracle 10 has continued on uh, the very, very uh, rough emotional roller coaster that we have been on since issue number one. I mean, 
Scott Free and Big Barda are currently dealing with a massive war between New Genesis and Apocalypse. Mr. Miracle is now the High Father of New Genesis, and it is up to him to stop this war and to save thousands and thousands of lives. And last issue, Darkseid said, I will stop the war, I will give you everything, I will even give up the anti-life equation, all you have to do is give me your son. And so far, we have been so blessed to see Big Barda and Scott Free start a life together, have a family, little Jacob Free, kid's awesome, running around, swinging on the swing, playing with his stuff. Uh, I mean, he has really very quickly shown that family is so important to Mr. Miracle. And this issue just punches you in the gut because he is torn between his role as high father of New Genesis and father of Jake and Big Barda really doesn't even want to have the conversation uh, that they give Jake to Darkseid because they know what it's like to grow up there. They know how terrible their lives were. Uh, Mr. Miracle thinks, well, you know, we turned out okay. Maybe we should give him to Darkseid and let thousands of people in New Genesis live and not have to, you know, risk their lives in this war. I personally, I mean, I, I just, I, I don't know where Scott and Mr. Miracle's head is at right now. I would never in a million years give up my son. I would let millions and thousands of people die if it meant protecting my kid. I'm sorry, guys out there. You know, for me, my little man is the number one most important thing in my life. I get that I'm not in that situation and this is a hypothetical and I would not literally have millions of lives on my head the way that Scott and, and Mr. Miracle would, but I don't know, guys. I just, I don't know where the story is going, and I am actually terrified of this series. I do not want to see what I think is going to happen. And I mean, by the end of the issue, we get a certain resolution. We have a bit of a plan. I mean, but you just get to see how emotionally tearing this is for Scott as he literally curls up into a ball crying in a shower or talking to the random guy at like a Walmart stand-in as he's being checked out about what he should do. He literally just tells this kid, yeah, so I can stop a war by giving up my son, should I? And this kid just gives him some advice, you know? And I mean, it's, it's, it's Tom King. I, it is absolutely the best book on the stands right now. I will argue that to the death with anybody. There is not a single issue of comics being published right now, or a single series of comics being published right now, that is as good as Mr. Miracle is. Dustin, you have got to get on board with this book. Apparently. Yeah, you have to get on board with this book. Anybody out there listening who has not read Mr. Miracle 1-10, to I mean, you know, if you're trade waiting for it, that was a mistake, but it's okay because the trade will come out. Uh, I mean, th this book is not anything that I think people should be waiting on. I can't recommend it higher. All right, so now that I'm finished gushing over Mr. Miracle, uh, it is time for the What You Reading section. Dustin, my friend, what you been reading this week? Well, in almost a blasphemous way, I had never picked up Superman Red Sun before, so I did myself and my fandom a favor, picked it up and read it, and I have to say, I loved it, I adored it. This had so much more to it than just simply a Soviet-era Superman, and I mean, that, that concept alone is enough clearly to interest me to pick the book up. I thought they could run with that, 
but there are layers to this. I mean, it's more than just alternate versions of everybody. Superman himself really isn't too far removed from the Superman he we all know and love. I mean, personality-wise, it's not like he landed there and immediately got brainwashed and just became Zod. He He's still Clark Kent. He just happens to fight for another flag. And, um... There's a there's a ton in this comic. I mean, this comic it looks at society, the relationships between, you know, largely Superman and Lex Luthor, but Superman and his effect on the world, you know, where would Batman be without him? Wonder Woman, uh, who both have fantastic cameos. Hal Jordan's cameo in this was one of the sweeter points for me. I didn't know he was coming along, and he doesn't get a ton of time, but the time he gets is, is very interesting to see. But for the most part, it's just, it's very cool to see Superman really embracing and adopting a leadership role, being told, you know, you have to lead us, you have to guide us, so figure it out. You know, there is no other option. You're going to become the leader, you're going you're gonna to make the motherland great, and you're going to unite the world, and everything will be great under Superman's banner. Which is such an interesting thing. Like, it's perfect timing for you to be reading that specific comic right now when, when you think back to not Justice League, Superman... Right? Martian Manhunter is uh, yes. slightly insinuating, yeah. you know, maybe you should think about and taking that's a it over here. Yeah, and you know, and, and this issue too, like again, he's not just, he doesn't come down as like Zod, he still takes some poking and some prodding. In the first issue, he actually says he will not be taking, like, I will not take over for Solomon, I'm not going to lead the party, but circumstances, you know, things unfold, things happen, and he has to, and it's interesting to see, you know, him thrust into that role, and how he manages it, you know, potentially there can be too much of a burden on the Man of Steel. You don't think it could be, and you don't think it could be and manifest itself in the way that isn't just a giant doomsday enemy. This is society. This is everyday life. And these are the things he struggles with. You, know, you remember, he's an alien from another planet. Just because he happens to be a very human human in the, in the DC world, I mean, he is he's more human than Batman, for God's sakes, like yeah. the, and the guys from a different planet, but... It, it, it's great, it's cool to see, and I can't say enough without giving too much away about the ending. The The last couple pages of this comic blew my mind. The way everything comes together between the dynamics of Lex and Superman, and on a larger scale, how that truly could potentially affect the DC Universe. That ending just about left my jaw on the floor. And if for nothing else, you know, if a Soviet... If a Soviet Superman to you is just the worst thing you could possibly stomach, for the ending alone, you need to pick this up and give it a read. Yeah, I mean, I think that is the brilliance of Mark Miller's concept, right? Is that we immediately associate Superman with truth, justice, and the American way. Yeah. He is an alien. He is not an American, right? He is Kryptonian. He is not American. Yeah. And, and yet, we immediately think about American ideals when we think of Superman. And so it is so interesting to consider what would actually happen if Superman didn't have those ideals. What if the man who fights for democracy in the American way was actually a communist, you know, or a socialist? It's it's a very and, and not interesting evil. you know, still yeah, the same yeah. Clark Kent we know and love except he fights for these things instead of instead of truth, justice, in the American way. I mean, it's been years since I've read Red Sun, but that is one thing that I remember standing out was that I didn't feel like they vilified. It threw me off communism in the beginning. Soviets, in the right? beginning, when Superman's narrating, it threw me off. I was like, this this sounds way too much like the Superman I know. Mm. This is supposed to be an Elseworlds story. You know what the hell? 
But it's, yeah, it's an Elseworlds story in more than the sense of just, oh, here's evil Superman. Or here's, you know, no, Superman is still the guy we know and love, truth, justice, but the Soviet way. And how does society react to that? You know, what if he's carrying somebody else's flag? And, I mean, that with the Lex Luthor, Lex Luthor had so many layers to him in this, I found myself hesitantly cheering for him at some point. But, (laughs) I mean, I, I do not want to spoil the ending, guys, but it's... One of the biggest twists that I've read in a long time, and I did not genuinely not see this one coming. Yeah, so you liked it? Absolutely, I liked it. I recommend it to all. It's one of the few Superman stories that I've read standalone. I think uh, Brian Atzerello and Jim Lee's For Tomorrow is another one that you should put on your list. I've read For Tomorrow. Have you read it? Oh, it's so good. Actually, my Superman doesn't stray too far away from Azzarello and Michael J. Straczynski. Outside of those two... Uh, I ran Superman for all seasons. I haven't read a ton of Superman. But yeah. as far as Elseworld stories goes, and just, you know, again, seeing the Man of Steel we all know and love, but in a different environment. And yeah, like, he, you know, he's not evil. He hasn't done a complete 180. He just happens to fight for somebody else now. Yeah. Uh, is a great concept and goes so much farther than you'd think it would. Yeah, I think I gotta revisit it. I gotta read it again. It's been a long time. And it's always great to see Elseworld Batman. Any any Elseworld <laughs> Batman is fantastic to come across. You know, he's always got some kind of snippy one-liner, and uh, he, he makes his presence known in this one for sure. Beauty. All right, so what... Uh, I, I mean, I've been doing a lot of reading over the last little while. I, I think I'm going to specifically chat about uh, a series that I've caught up on that, for some strange reason, I let you know, go a long, long time ago. And that is East of West by Jonathan Hickman and Nick Dragota. Uh, I recently absolutely binged, like it was a Netflix TV show, <laughs> binged uh, issues one all the way to the current update of 38. And my God, that book is absolutely fantastic. Um, basically what's going on, Hickman and Dragota have created a world where... We are years in the future. I believe it's 20. The Currently, we're going on between 2064 at the beginning of book one, and we're going to finish uh, 2066, I believe. Uh, the series is going to finish with issue 45, which I believe comes out in October. Uh, is going to break my heart, but it's okay. It happens. All good things come to an end. Uh, but basically, what's going on is we are in the future. Um, we are coming close to the apocalypse, Uh, The horsemen of the apocalypse have arrived on Earth, and they are ready to bring about the end times. Uh, The world has been split, well, America has been split into different uh, countries within itself. There there is the PRA, which uh, has New Shanghai in it. Um, There is the Endless Nation, uh, which is run by tribes of uh, aboriginals. Um, the, the Confederacy, there is the new democracy or the new Republic of Texas. Uh, it's some very cool stuff. And all of the leaders of the world, uh, come together to form a secret sect called the Chosen. And their job is to serve the horsemen and bring about the end of the world. Um, yes, that is a concept that we have seen before, a secret sect working within a government body but this just has that really interesting twist with the horsemen now even more cool is that we follow death 
who is a rogue horseman and mm-hmm. who no longer wants to work for the apocalypse. Instead, he wants to work to protect his son, who he learns eventually is alive and not dead as he thought he was. Uh, and so he meets up with his wife, uh, who has been imprisoned for years. He goes on a journey to save his son, and really, really cool things happen. This comic is probably one of my favorite comics that I've ever read. I would put it up there with uh, Scott Snyder's American Vampire. I feel the same level of excitement uh, when I'm reading East of West that I did with uh, American Vampire. And it's really cool. It's like a a sci-fi Western. There's a lot of Western influence in the story. Um, You're constantly questioning... Again, sort of in the same veins as Seeds that we talked about earlier, you're constantly questioning if what you're seeing is actually accurate. Um, You know, the situation with Death's son, who is eventually named Babylon, uh, Mm -hmm. is, is very, very interesting because the horsemen have been holding on to him thinking that he is the beast who brings about the apocalypse. Um, and they've been feeding him this artificial education. His eyes are covered and he's attached to what he affectionately calls the balloon, which is a giant floating orb that feeds him an education and talks to him and keeps him company. And it teaches him all of this stuff. And when he finally escapes his prison where the horsemen are holding him, this is the coolest part of the whole book. You see one panel, you see what... Babylon sees through his own eyes, which the world looks destroyed and demolished and just a complete shithole. And then you pan out and you see the world as it actually is. And it's, he's standing in a beautiful field with flowers all over the place. So we know that balloon is a lying dick Mm -hmm. and we have to get rid of balloon at some point because he is feeding Babylon some bad information. Uh, and when death eventually finds Babylon, and starts questioning why he sees things so weird. There's some really neat stuff that comes up. And as the reader, you are then immediately saying like, what else have we seen that I now have to question, right? The act of seeing is something that you're always thinking about. Um, the act of hearing the message that leads to the apocalypse is something they bring up constantly. The characters in this story are unique and interesting, and everything that that Jonathan Hickman has put into the actual narrative just comes off gangbusters. I mean, there is no, there are a couple of places that I'm waiting for, uh, you know, some strings to be pulled together, right? There are a few threads that he's got floating around, but I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that he'll pull them all together by the end. I think I would rather him come to a solid conclusion with issue 45 than just kind of go on excuse me, infinitely forever and not quite make sense. Um, yeah, this book has been super exciting. If you guys, anybody out there wants to take a a look at it and give it a start, check out volume one, uh, collects issues one to six. Uh, I believe there's something like 12 issue or 12 volumes at this point. Um, but yeah, they're they are fantastic. Well worth your time, well worth your read. And the ending of this story is going to be exciting. So if you catch up on it now, you can jump right back into us uh, with issue 39 that comes out next month. All right, ladies and gentlemen, over the break, 
Dustin, my main man, corrected me, fixed my terrible math skills. There are not 12 volumes of East of West right now. There's something like six. Please forgive me. I'm reading digitally. My math is horrible. Yes, so it is completely feasible that you can pick <laughs> this up and catch up so you know what's going on for when issue 39 drops. <laughs> it's not something that's going to require future planning and setting time aside. Oh, man. Okay, so I'm fixing my terrible math aside. We have reached the end of the episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, as always, please go on Twitter, follow us at GutterGuysPod. We are happy to hear what you think about the, the podcast. Let us know. We have thick skin. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. We're always happy to make adjustments. Yeah, guys, thanks a lot for tuning in. You know, we'll have more for you next week. And do yourself a favor. Pick up an issue with something this week. Enjoy.